We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the Asbury Revival continues to be the hot news story of the week. It was even featured on Tucker Carlson a couple days ago. So what is the message that led to this revival? I'll talk about that. The actual sermon, the homily, on love that led to the Asbury Revival. And how should we be responding to this whole thing? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. little housekeeping today before we get started. If you want to support us here at The Rebellion and help us keep the lights on, so to speak, you can do so by subscribing at patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. I appreciate all of you who support us on a monthly basis. Again, I don't do this just to hear myself talk on a daily basis. This gets uploaded as a radio show at KOKL Radio in Oak Mulgee every day. And then I upload it after that as a podcast. And we've built a lot of listeners. I think we're averaging around 65, 70,000 listeners a month right now. If I recall correctly, we hit 700,000 or thereabout total listeners for the year in 2022. So let's continue to build the momentum. Subscribe and support us, if you will. And likewise, will you copy and paste your favorite episodes and post them out there in your social media so that people can join in, join in the rebellion. And remember that our tagline is, in times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. I think if I were to summarize the mission of what the rebellion stands for is very simple, truth. Truth wins. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by him. I've said over and over again that truth is the standard, the measuring rod outside of those things being measured, and I'm paraphrasing C.S. Lewis there. Without truth, we cannot engage in any conversation with one another. We can't have a debate. We can't have a civil argument because it all digresses to power and politics. It all digresses to opinions and personalities. If you don't have an objective standard outside of ourselves to judge what's going on in culture, what's going on in your family, your church, your college, your country, or even within your own soul. So, Truth is the only rebellion left, and we do indeed live in times of universal deceit. Who can argue otherwise? We live in a time where we can't even define what a woman is any longer. We live in a time where we're dumbing down the definition of children and actually suggesting that minors have the right and the responsibility to make decisions as to whether or not they even mutilate their own bodies before they're old enough to go vote or drive a car or buy alcohol or cigarettes. I've said this over and over again. When you dumb down the distinction between the adult and the child, you essentially are putting children in the position of being treated like adults, and they're going to become the prey 
of predators who are going to use their, those children for their own gratification, for their own pleasures. That's a terrible situation, situation for us to be in as a culture. We live in a time of deception when it comes to the definition of the youngest among us, the youngest children. We're taking their lives. We're sacrificing them on the altar of Planned Parenthood and choice as opposed to life. We live in a time, I would argue, of, of um, universal deceit when we're talking about the earth creation being our ultimate good rather than the creator. We're given over to a reprobate mind. We can't think clearly any longer because we've started worshiping the earth, the created, rather than the creator. And Romans tells us, Paul tells us in his epistle to the Romans, that when we do that, God will give us over to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, a mind that is so clouded that it can't even recognize reality any longer. Because ultimately, when you worship something other than God, you're going to end up worshiping yourself dethrone God, and you're going to put something else on that throne. Ultimately, it will be you. And that's why we've got the craziness, the science-denying craziness of global warming and climate change. The science-denying craziness of LGBTQIA, SJW, BLM, CRT. So these are times of universal deceit. And the reason that I use that tagline is I want to remind you the truth is the only thing that will correct our course. It's the only rebellion we have left is to just speak the truth and seek the truth. Pursue it because it's an objective reality. It's out there. It's not something that's made up. It's not just the product of the masses. It's not just popular opinion. No, truth is true even if no one believes it and False, it is false, even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. Again, that's a quote from Oz Guinness. So that's the introduction or the review of why we do this show on a daily basis. And I want to talk about the Asbury Revival after we take a break. I know I've spent two preceding shows talking about it, and I've referred to Alicia Childers as a primary source for me to go to to try to understand what's going on. And I've also referred to a couple pastor friends of mine. I'm going to play another video clip, audio clip, if you will. It is a video, but obviously you're listening uh, via podcast and radio right now, so you can't see the video. So I'm going to play the video, but yes, you're going to only hear the audio. And I'm going to play a portion of what Alyssa Childers is now saying with regard to the parable of the wheat and the tares that Jesus tells in the New Testament, in the Gospels. I want you to hear that because I really respect Ms. Childers. She really is a solid individual. She's biblically faithful. She desperately tries, and successfully so, on almost every front, to go back to scriptures as the measuring rod of everything she's analyzing in culture. And I think that's very important for us right now, because when any culture loses that particular standard, that scale, that measuring rod of what's right and wrong and real and true, that culture's in trouble. And that, that applies to the church, the culture of the church, as much as it does the secular culture. And I think we need to apply that standard when we're talking about everything within the church, the definition of love and the definition of revival. So I'm going to talk about the story of the Asbury Revival a little bit further here after we take this break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and we'll be right back in a couple minutes.
1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, so welcome back to The Rebellion. All right, I said in the introduction that I wanted to talk about love. And within the context of what I said preceding this commercial break about truth being the only rebellion left and truth being the ultimate measure of everything that we want to talk about, I think we should now talk about love within the context of truth. In other words, how do you properly, accurately define love? Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is I went back and I listened to the entire sermon, the homily, the speech, if you will, at Asbury College's chapel on February 8th, the sermon that led to this revival that's still ongoing as I speak right now, the sermon that led to Asbury College being featured in news stories across the nation, across the world. Tucker Carlson even featured an interview with one of the students there this past week. I've talked about this revival on a couple shows, if you've been listening in this week. Now, I want to be very clear here. Just because I'm asking a question, or just because some other pastor or writer is asking a question, tapping the brakes a bit, saying, well, let's talk about this. I have a couple questions. What is the message that led to this revival? What are we reviving? Is there evidence of repentance and confession? Because it seems that biblically, those things should be the foundation of any reawakening of the individual, of a culture, of a church, of a college, of a country. The great awakenings, historically, are times of great repentance and confession, a contrite heart, a recognition that we are broken and sinful people, and that we were going in the wrong direction, and we need to reawaken, revive, return to true north. What is it that we are reviving? So what was the message that led to this Asbury College revival? Well, if you go back and listen to the message, it's, it's a simple message about love, where the speaker refers to the book of Romans, the epistle that Paul wrote, the letter that Paul wrote to the first century church in Rome. Now, you know, if you've read Romans, that this is a key uh, book for the definition of salvation, 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, This this is the message for the wages of sin, our death, that you must confess your sins, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This is the message of Romans. But also in chapters 12 and 13, there's the message of love. And Paul defines love very clearly. Basically, I'm going to give you the Piper paraphrase right now for the sake of time. In those particular chapters of the epistle of Romans, Paul defines love as being selfless. Stop thinking about yourselves and think about others. Stop being hypocritical. Stop trying to get your own way and maybe think of the ways of others and help them. And when we speak of hypocrites, stop judging others in a way that you're not willing to judge yourself. I would say that that's a fair summary and paraphrase of what Paul is saying. Now, love. When he says love, do you think maybe we ought to ask what's the definition of love? Well, Paul defines it as selflessness. Clearly, in our culture right now, we have completely turned the definition of that word on its ear. Because now, these love-win chants and the rainbow definition of love, the woke definition of love, is to take that word and actually turn it into something that entirely focuses on the individual, on yourself, and that if you want to do it, that's who you are. If you have an inclination toward it, then that's your identity. If you desire something, that's your definition. And therefore, your sexual appetites, or any other appetite for that matter, but it's so driven by sex, we just need to continue to focus on that because that's what the woke are saying about love. That if you want to do it sexually, if that's your hunger, your passion, your desire, your inclination, then that's love. Because love is love, after all, right? Now, you know I've said on this show multiple times that that's a terrible bastardized definition of love. In fact, it's upside down. It's backwards. It's the antithesis of love because we all love people that we don't have sex with. And therefore, love and sex cannot be synonymous, right? Now, the interesting thing is that Paul, in that very passage, the Apostle Paul, in that very passage, calls upon Christians to do this and stop doing this. And I'm going to read the passage directly to you right now. After he talks about love being our primary duty, Paul says this in chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. I'm going to read it to you. Besides this, and what's he talking about when he says this? He's talking about the law of love. He says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, Because now our salvation is nearer than when you first believed. The night is nearly over, and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh, close quote. Now, it's interesting 
that the sermon at Asbury College came from Romans chapter 12 and 13, this particular passage. Now, I'm not saying that what the chapel speaker said was wrong. What I am suggesting is that you go listen to it and ask yourself this particular question. Was the sermon complete? Did it challenge people to stop being selfish in their love? Absolutely. The speaker did a great job of focusing on that and, and, and asking the students, as well as the faculty and staff that, there were, that were there at that chapel, are you showing selfless love to your neighbor, or are you being selfish and hypocritical in the way you're engaging in relationships and community? Do you really love people? Are you being selfless? Are you showing deference to them? Or are you all always trying to get your own way? Are you being mean-spirited? Or are you being open and compassionate and helpful? I mean, I, those are very good questions, and that is appropriate and biblical for the speaker to challenge the students to recognize that love can't be self-centered and narcissistic. It has to be outwardly focused. Great. But the speaker never said anything about the passage that I just referred to. And it's interesting. That particular passage is the one that led to the conversion of Augustine. Did you know that? That's where he heard the chant while he was out reading in the garden one day. He heard a child saying, take up and read, take up and read. And when he did so, he took up and read this particular passage that I just read to you from Romans. And it's this passage that says, stop the carousing, stop the drunkenness, stop the debauchery, stop walking as if you are living in the nighttime, and start walking as if you are in the daylight. Stop. Stop trying to hide all of your evil deeds and start acting like you would if everybody were watching, even your mom. Again, the Piper paraphrase of that particular passage. But this is a passage that challenges us. It's not a passage that makes us feel good, right? This is a passage that does anything but affirm our sensuality, our sexual immorality, our debauchery, our drunkenness our pursuit of pleasure. That passage does not affirm you in your desires, does it? That passage is the summary. It's the wrap-up. It's the take-home, if you will, after Paul's admonition to live the law of love. Now, as you go and listen to the sermon to Asbury, or as you talk to people about this revival, I have a key question here. Was there anything there, or has much been said since, that calls for not only those who are in attendance at Asbury College, but everybody watching this on the, in social media or on Tucker Carlson or otherwise, is there anything that calls for repentance of the selfishness of LGBTQIA? Anything. Is there anything that calls for repentance of the dumbing down of the definition of love and making love in our culture and in our time synonymous with sexual desire? Is there anything there? that calls out that particular lie, that deception. Is there any call to return to true north? Is there any preaching of you must be born again? You can't accept the fact that you're born that way. Is there anything about the truth of God and the truth of Scripture that's being revived? Or are we reviving affirmation, tolerance? Are we dumbing down the definition of love to acceptance? I may not get time, I may not have time in the rest of the show to focus much on what Elisa Childers says in her recent podcast. 
But she basically is doing exactly what I think all of us should do right now. Whenever we're confronted with a, a sermon, a book, or in this case, news of a revival, be discerning. Ask good questions. Test all things. That's biblical. Don't be canceled and shamed or intimidated into silence. Now, again, shame on you if you get angry and cocky and arrogant. That's not what I'm calling for, and I hope you don't hear that in the tone of my voice at all. The wheat and the tares that Alyssa Childers refers to is a parable that Jesus tells. Basically, it goes something like this. There was a farmer, he went out and sowed wheat, and then he found out that his neighbor and enemy perhaps sowed tares in among the wheat. And What are you supposed to do? Are you going to go in and tear out all the weeds, the tares, or are you just going to let the crop grow and deal with the problem later on? Let the harvester solve the problem. When he comes in and harvests the wheat, he will separate the tares, the weeds, from the wheat at that time. Jesus says we're to do the latter. Don't go in and try to identify the tares now and tear them up because it's difficult. Tares, it's a weed that looks a lot like wheat. In fact, you can't even distinguish it from wheat until it matures. And then when it matures, you can tell the difference because the seeds are darker, I guess. That's my understanding of it. Well, why leave them there? It's because you could destroy the whole thing if you went in and tried to pull up the weeds prematurely because you'll probably not only destroy the weeds, but you'll destroy the whole crop. Now, Alyssa Childers says that might be a parable that we should apply to this revival. Uh, be patient. Don't tear everything up just because there's a LGBTQIA student posting stuff on social media about how wonderful this revival is. Uh, be patient. Now, that doesn't mean ignore it at all. But there might be some good things going on in the revival too. But don't buy the whole story hook, line, and sinker either. Because if you have faculty, if you have students, if you have people that are participating in this that are not confessing some obvious sins such as sodomy and child sacrifice, then we've got an issue here. I mean, clearly, any revival should focus on repentance of those things, shouldn't it? If those are the key sins of the people of that time and of that place, and those are irrefutably, indisputably, sins of our culture, of our nation, and frankly, even of the evangelical church right now. So my caution is the same as Alyssa Childers, and that is test all things. And if there isn't any movement of repentance of these particular key sins of our time, then I think we're right to ask why. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if I just haven't seen it. If those things have been confessed broadly and repented of broadly, and if people are taking the podium or the pulpit there in that particular facility and speaking out against those sins and saying, we need to stop these things, we need to confess these things, we need to act like Josiah, we need to tear down the altars of our false gods, we need to tear down the altar of LGBTQIA because it elevates self over the Savior. We're actually defining ourselves by our sins. We're celebrating our sins rather than confessing them. We need to tear down the altar of child sacrifice, Planned Parenthood, and somehow elevating personal convenience over and above the life of the youngest among us. We need to tear down the, 
the altar to the false god of Gaia, of Earth, Mother Earth, and the worship of the environment, of the gods of climate change and global warming, over and above the creator of the Earth. We need to acknowledge that we've made the environment our highest good, even at the expense of science. We're not acting like stewards of this particular planet any longer. We're acting like we are subjects of it and that we should be worshiping it. We need to tear down the altar of the false god of Gnosticism, that somehow we have superior knowledge that trumps reality. We need to tear down the altar of critical theory and the elevation of coveting as a moral good. We need to tear down the altar of pride and stop, stop celebrating it and waving banners that actually say pride is good rather than one of the deadly sins. Do you get my point here? If these things are happening in a revival, then I think that should give us assurance that the revival is biblically grounded, grounded in truth rather than emotion and feelings. But if these things aren't being confessed, and if, if the message is one of affirmation and tolerance and just be kind and nice to your fellow man, there's nothing wrong with affirming and being nice and kind to your fellow man, but that is incomplete. It's not the full story. It's not the rest of the story. It's not the passage that led to Augustine's conversion. And I would argue it's not the message that will lead to a revival that actually is grounded in all of the Bible, all of the Bible, and its definition of kindness and its definition of a man and of a woman and of a child, its definition of God, its definition of Jesus, its definition of truth, its definition of love. A complete, biblical, accurate, truthful definition of all of these things is important if we are going to be revived and return to true north. And that's what great awakenings are all about. That's what confession and repentance is all about. That's what it means to be revived. Now, as I get ready to wrap it up here, I'm not saying that some of the students who have been impacted by this revival have not benefited from it. I certainly do not want to be guilty of quenching the Holy Spirit, and I pray that nothing I've said will result in that. But I also think Alyssa Childers is spot on when she highlights the parable of the wheat and tares. While there may be some wheat growing in every situation in our lives, from every sermon, from every speech, from every book, every worship service, and every revival, there may be wheat growing there. And I don't want to play God on this, nor should you pretend to do the same. But you're not playing God when you act like a human being and say, I don't fully understand this, and I do have a couple questions. Um, have we focused on repentance of all of the obvious evils of our time? Are we broken in fear and trembling before the only true God? Or are we looking for somebody who just pats us on the back and says, it'll be okay. Just be kind to one another. Be nice to your neighbor and it'll be okay. I love you. That's not biblical love, people. Love confronts the Lord disciplines those he loves. As I've told you before, when I was on Bill O'Reilly's show for the first time, back when the factor was at its peak, Mr. O'Reilly got onto this issue of tolerance and kindness and affirmation. And I responded to him by saying, 
Mr. O'Reilly, on Valentine's Day, did you send your wife an I tolerate you card? He was quiet, didn't respond. And I, I intervened before he could. And I said, well, you probably didn't because had you sent your wife an I tolerate you card on Valentine's Day, it probably wouldn't have ended well. And the reason for that is that's not biblical love. Tolerance is an inferior virtue. Tolerance says, I really don't love you. I don't even necessarily like you. I'll tolerate you. I'll be nice to you. Just do what you want. Whereas biblical love, charity, otherwise, as it's known in Scripture, is a superior virtue. Tolerance says, I really don't care what you do. Love says, I care deeply about what you do, enough to stand in your way, make you feel uncomfortable, and tell you to stop. Do you get my point? We're coming off of Valentine's Day here, and none of us sat around and told those people that we really love that we tolerate them. That's because love and tolerance are not the same thing. Love and kindness are not the same thing. Love and affirmation are not the same thing. Love cares enough to stand in the way and say, you must stop this. And the way to do it is to repent and confess and return to True North. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.